Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Now, I, I just want to point your attention to the fact that God is always on the move. God is always building his church. Jesus said he would, in fact, build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we're humbled and we're honored and privileged to be a part of a church that God is, is alive and on the move and doing great things. And, and so it's an opportunity for us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's what this, this next mini-series is all about. It's about being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so right now, uh, we have some people passing out some packets uh, for you to help us. There's some tools in there to help you and to help us do all that God wants us to do. So as they come around, um, I'll point out kind of what you're going to find in there. You're going to find an ink pen because some of y'all come unprepared most every week. All right, number two, uh, you're going to find in there a book, and this is your book. This is your journal. Now, you, this may sound elementary, but it's okay sometimes we're dealing with elementary people. And so on the front of this is a place to put your name. This is your book. Everybody has a book. I want you to write your name on the front of your book. Now, in the back, on the last five or six pages, you'll find some notes pages. Guys, I want you to take some notes. Now, don't try to keep up with your girlfriend or your wife because they're going to write beautiful penmanship and it's going to have, they're going to quote scripture and it's just going to be amazing and yours is going to look like Elmer Fudd or somebody wrote your, your journal, okay? So you fill out a journal too because this is for you too and I know it's off for you. It's a coloring outside the lines. We want you to, to, to take this uh, home with you and we want you to bring it back next week. And so each week I'm going to say, hey, who brought your journal? I'm going to call you out. I want you to bring your book because I want you to use this. We're going to use this as a reference or a tool in this thing called Move. Also, you'll find inside your bag, you'll find a wristband. This is, this is for you. This is, has the website on there. So we want you to start telling people about the church, all that God's doing. And at the same time, it says your website, but there's some, there's some symbols on the front of it, which is the gospel made easy for anybody to share. People say, hey, what do those symbols mean? It's real easy. The first one is an arrow down. That is that God came to the earth in the form of a man, Jesus. Then there's a cross. And he died on a cross for the sins of the world. And then there's an empty tomb. They buried him in a tomb, but he rose from the dead. He's no longer there. There's an arrow going up. Jesus went back home to be with God, an arrow coming down. One day Jesus will return. Simple gospel for you to wear on your wrist to remind you that you're called to be someone who shares the good gospel of Jesus with your circle of influence, with the world that you live in. And so it's a tool to help you because part of what our move campaign shifting paradigms is, is getting ourselves out into the world, being a light in darkness. Also inside your bag, you'll find uh, some refrigerator magnets. They are right here. This one is our mission statement. I want you to put it on your refrigerator and just read it every time you go over there to open something, to pull something out of the fridge. Because I want you to know who we are, and it's wrapped up in this mission statement. At the same time, there's another magnet, and this are our core values, three of them, who we are, knowing, growing, and going. I want you to learn who this church is. I want you to learn who it is you're supposed to be as part of this local church. And so the other reason I want you to have these on your refrigerator is because also in your bag you have uh, a connection card. Now, this is not, it doesn't have anything to do the magnets, but on the connection card, we want you to be connected. I want you to understand something. That video that we just showed, it kind of tracks the last six and a half years. 
where it's gone from about 50 or 60 to over 400, even in a pandemic year. Now, what's amazing about that is sometimes we come to church and we leave and and we feel like, man, I looked around, I didn't know many people. If you feel sometimes like you don't know many people at the church of Sturkey Hills, be transparent and say, I do. Okay. The truth is we all are a little uncomfortable. I don't know all of you. Okay. You probably don't even know me. My name's Joel. Okay. Now you know. Okay. There's one of me. There's many of you. We don't know each other. Why? Because we're new. If you were here seven years ago, say I was, Okay, if you were not here uh, seven years ago, say, I was not. Yeah, we weren't. We're all new people. And so it's very okay not to know a bunch of people. But to fix that, to move forward, we want to help you get connected. We want your church life experience to be real and alive and, 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 and connected. And so this card is a connection card. It's real simple. We, want, we, we don't want a whole bunch of information. We don't want a blood type. You know, we don't want you know, to know your kids' birthdays. All we want to know is your name, your email, and your cell phone number. And so if you'll put that on there and turn it in, then secondly, here's what happens in a person's journey with Jesus in the life of the church. They come to a place where they decide something. And so we've put a place on here, I have decided to. Maybe you've been kind of pursuing Jesus, trying to figure it all out, and you've come to a place where you realize you need to be a Christian. You may have some form of religiosity or something, but you're just truly, you've never been born again. There's no spiritual rebirth, and you want a walk, a relationship with God through Jesus. And you, you know you just need to be saved. That's what that means. So you put on there, I, 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 I have decided to become a Christian. Maybe you're already a Christian, but maybe you were baptized pre-conversion. Maybe you were baptized before you ever got saved. And that's not biblical baptism. I want you to understand, in the New Testament, people were baptizo, they were baptized, immersed, dunked, submerged after conversion, after they got saved. So maybe you were baptized as a little boy or a little girl, but you weren't saved. And then somewhere along the line later, you truly were born again and you got saved. You need to be baptized post-salvation. So you just check on there. I've decided to be baptized. Uh, I will say this, April 11th, we're having a baptism service in the new building. In fact, Ben and Kari referenced their little boy, Cooper. He's the first one to get baptized, but we've got a whole bunch of people who are, need to be baptized, and it'll happen on April the 11th, so I would encourage you in that direction. Maybe it's to join the church. Maybe it's to join a group. We want you in a group. We don't want you in the, we want you in the large group, but where you get connected is in a smaller group. So as we grow larger, it's critical that we grow smaller, and we do that through groups. Some groups meet at homes, in homes during the week. Some groups meet here on Sunday morning. So we want to have you a group to do life with. And then lastly, none less significant, is I would like to serve in the following. If for you to be an active member of God's kingdom agenda through the local church, which is his tool of doing ministry on this globe, you need to be serving. Every single person has been gifted. I shared just the other day that, that I was uncomfortable last night, in fact. I was uncomfortable in my skin for a long time because I'm wired weird. I mean, when I was growing up, they didn't have letters to describe me. They had a paddle in a closet. All right. And so for a long time, I was like, how could God use somebody like me? And then it dawned on me. God doesn't make mistakes. He gifts us according to his calling upon our life. And every single one of you tell the person next to you, he's talking to you. 
Every single one of you, God has designed and purposed and given a plan according to his agenda. And you need to serve it out. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean work for salvation. It means to dive in, apply yourself to him, and let him use you according to his kingdom. So you got that card. We want everybody, every adult, every student, every young person to fill one of these out so we can help you get plugged into the church and help, we, help you with the decisions that you've made. And then also... There's this commitment card. It looks like this. It's in your bag. And all this is is on March the 7th and March the 14th, we will take up these cards. It's between now and then what God puts on your heart, a commitment he wants you to make to the church moving forward. And we'll turn these cards in. But then on March 21st, we're going to bring our offerings for those who want to give it on a day. And it will be the largest single offering in the history of our church. And so some people have already given that. It will be assigned to this particular day. It's already set aside. And so we want you to be prayerful about that. So you take this card. You put it on your refrigerator using one of these magnets. And every day when you go over there to, you know, get out a half pound of bologna or whatever you're eating for a snack, you, uh, you, you read that card. It reminds you of the card that you need to be prayerful about the commitment that God would have you make. And then the last thing, which is really cool, is if you want to show somebody else what's going on in the life of the church, you'll see this card. It's got a QR code on there. And this is really cool for old people. It's amazing cool. Young people are very familiar with it. You just hold your phone over it. Now, if you've got one on a cord at the house, it ain't going to do you no good. Okay, but if you've got a smartphone, okay, which most people do, you just point your camera at it and it'll give you, an, it'll highlight it with these little orange stars and tell, and tell you to press a button and it'll play that video that we just saw. Now that's pretty cool, right? And that's all Tanner. He's our IT guy. He does all that cool stuff. And then he tells me how I'm supposed to figure out how to do it. So it's good. Life is good. So that's what's in your bag. Now, I want you to know God is on the move. He's on the move doing great things in the life of the church, and, and he's doing that here. And if you're new, that's great. Dive in right where you are. If you've been here for a while, you've seen it, Brian, but we've seen it, man. God's doing great stuff. And so we're encouraged and challenged and motivated about what God wants to do in the future. But sometimes when we get to a, a crossroads or a cusp or a threshold like we're at, and there's change kind of in the air, we don't like it. We push back because our nature is not to like change. Today's message is a, is a message you, you probably won't enjoy thoroughly because it's, it's calling us to change some things. But change is okay. In fact, change is normal. Change is a part of our existence. We are changing every day. And as you get older, you notice it more. As a grown man, you know, you start looking in the mirror and you have more gray hair than you got black hair. For the first time, my grandson the other day, he saw an old picture. He said, Papa, you have black hair. I said, what color is my hair now? He said, white. Okay. And then you keep looking, and, it, and, and it's no longer black, and it's no longer white. It's gone. Okay. There are patches of nothing but skin showing through, you know. And then you start looking, and the hair's gone from your head, and all of a sudden, it's, somebody threw fertilizer in your ears, and it's sprouting out of your ears. And, you know, and you got wrinkles showing up on your eyes. And, and you didn't notice them because you, did, you, you, you fought off glasses or contacts so long. Now you put contacts in. I just started wearing contacts. I just realized how old I am. Because now I can see all of who I am. So I'm taking out the contacts, okay? I'm not wearing those anymore. It hurt me, all right? So I, I want to say change is normal. Change is a part of life. But here's what happens. Sometimes, as, even though life changes, we begin to look forward and we establish our vision, our goals. We, we begin to dream. The only problem is often our expectations of the future are built on our experiences 
of the past. We let the experiences of yesterday determine our expectations of tomorrow. I want you to know something, church. That's not God's way of doing things. That's flesh. God's way of doing things is no matter how good or no matter how bad yesterday was, our expectation is placed in God, the God of eternity, the God of everything. And he's unlimited and abundant and beyond all we can ask or imagine. So that's how we dream and establish our vision. But often we don't do that. We, we, do, we establish our expectations based on our experiences. So I'm reminded of this young girl. And, and she wrote this letter, a young lady, wrote this letter of what her expectation was in her husband. Newly married, she wrote this. I want my husband to continue to be handsome, charming, financially successful, a caring listener, funny, in good shape, stylish dresser, appreciates finer things, full of thoughtful surprises, and a passionate romantic. Life brought its changes, and based on her experiences, she modified her list at age 32. At 32, she wrote this, this I want him to be nice-looking, opens the car door, has money to pay for dinner on occasion, listens more than he talks, laughs at my jokes, carries groceries with ease, owns a tie, likes a home-cooked meal, remembers birthdays and anniversaries, and seeks romance about once a week. At age 42, her list changed based on her experiences. She put, I want my husband to be not too ugly, not to drive off until I'm in the car. I want him to have a job, remember the punchline of the joke he's telling, I want him to be in good enough shape to move some furniture. I want him to wear a T-shirt that covers all of his belly. I want him to lift the toilet seat and shave on occasion. A few more years went by, age 52, because of her experiences, she updated her list. I want him to keep his nose and ear hair trimmed. I don't want him to burp and scratch in public too much. I want him to remember where he parked the car most of the time. I want him to stay awake when I talk to him. I want him to be in good enough shape to get off the couch if I tell him. I want him to wear matching socks and clean underwear, at least on Sunday. I want him to appreciate fast food and remember my name quickly. And I want him to keep the crumbs out of his mustache and his beard. A few more years went by. She updated her list at age 62. I want my husband to not scare small children. I want him to not cost much in upkeep and doctor bills. I want him to be willing to sleep in the other room because he snores and he wears a CPAP machine. I want him to remember why he was laughing. I want him to feed himself on his own. I want him to tie his shoes, zip his pants, and remember where he left his teeth. At age 72, she modified her list one more time. I would like for my husband to be breathing, know that we're married, and use the bathroom rather than his pants. Now, here's the thing. That's real. We begin to, to determine our expectations of the future based on our experiences in the past. And we, that's a paradigm shift that we've got to make. We've got to change the way we do things. Now, the title of this mini-series is Move Shifting Paradigms. Paradigm, a paradigm is a, the, a, a, a philosophy, an idea, or a model of how we um, understand things and how we live in that understanding. So our, a paradigm is it determines how we view things and how we act. And so I wear around my neck two dimes, a pair of dimes. And on my neck, whenever I move, they shift around, they swing around, and it's to remind me that I need to be the leader in shifting paradigms. I need to be the leader in changing the way I view things and changing the way I respond to the things that I see in this world. 
And we're challenging all of us to be willing to shift our paradigms, to look at things differently than we've ever looked at them before. Because God has big plans, and for whatever reason, he's decided to include us in his plans. And sometimes we just kind of take things for granted. We get kind of stuck. And we call it a paradigm. It becomes a paradigm, and in reality, it's just a rut. And so sometimes it's good just to kind of break away from that old shell or that old model or that old philosophy of life and dive into a new place where God wants us to be. And so the, the series is called Move Shifting Paradigms. Now, in Shifting Paradigms, what we want to do is we want you to, to dive into this thing and be real with it. So in your book... I want to show you kind of what it's built on, what our new paradigm is for the church and for us as individuals. On about page three, you'll find a picture of me wearing a black jacket, the one I'm wearing today. A funny story, my granddaughter, Juliana, picked up this book. I didn't pick the pictures in here, but they've kind of smothered me through here. I'm not sure why, but I'm in here. Juliana picked this book up. She goes, Papa, you are in this book. <laughs> she thinks I'm like a celebrity because I'm in this book, all right? So on this book, You'll also find what our new paradigm verse is. This is who we need to become as a church, as followers of Jesus. This is who we're called to be. It's found in 1 Corinthians 9.22. It says, I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Now, these are Paul's words, and let me just clear this up. You can't save some, and Paul couldn't even save Saul, who he was before conversion. What he's talking about is I want to be all things to all people so that by all means I might get to participate in the rescuing of lost people. And I want to tell you, you may have things in your life that you've accomplished that you're just, just stoked about. I mean, you've, you've, you've done great things. You've got a list of things that you've accomplished and it's awesome. I want to tell you something. The first time you lead a lost person out of the uh, bondage uh, that he's in, she's in, in sin, uh, destined for hell and you get to share the gospel and they receive it and they are released and set free for eternity it will trump everything that you've ever accomplished it's the sweetest moment in time when somebody is saved so much so that the bible says the angels in heaven rejoice and so we want you to take this book and, and and as you go through it you'll learn things about it it's got information about our growth curve about what god has done in the past it's got information in here about all of the paradigms that we're going to be shifting now Let's get into it. Uh, when we talk about the commitment card, the message we're going to share today, I want to tell you, you don't have to commit to anything. It is your prerogative. It's a free country and it's a free church and Christianity is all about some freedom. You don't have to commit to anything before God. You don't. But whatever you don't commit to God, I want you to know God will make the same commitment to you. It's funny how this works. God loves us all the time. God will save us regardless if we receive Jesus and he comes into our life and the Holy Spirit indwells us and seals us as, as his children. He'll save us for, from whatever we do. But I want you to know when we're, when we're not committed to him, it changes his level of blessing commitment to us. And we're going to see that today. Sometimes what we have is we people say, they'll say, well, I, I would like to be a part of, I would like for my walk with Jesus to be greater. I'd like to experience more. I just don't know what to do. Time out. That's a lie. Most often, it's a lie. 
Let me explain something. Often what happens is we hear something, and it, the Holy Spirit kind of pricks our heart, and he says, that's what you need to be doing. And we just were stubborn, okay? So we just push back against it. I'm not going to do that, okay? So then the next thing we know, we, 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 we need direction. And we pray, God, I just want to know what to do, and he don't tell us. Well, why would he tell us something new on our timeline when we didn't do what he told us before on his timeline? You see, obedience happens, and obedience and faithfulness and trust develops on God's timeline. He gives us opportunities to dive in and to trust him more, to know him more, and to experience faith more. But when we reject that, we find ourselves out there saying, I just don't know what to do. So I just want to encourage you. God will tell you always what to do, but he expects us to listen. And he expects us to apply what it is that he has taught us to do. And so let's get into this thing. This message for today is called A New View of an Ancient Principle. A New View of an Ancient Principle. I call it Shifting Our Dimes. You see, one of the paradigm shifts that has to happen in the life of the church, and honestly it really needs to happen in every single individual, is our dimes need to shift. Our dimes need to move. You see, a dime represents a tenth. It's ten cents of a dollar. It's a tenth. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, in the Bible, there's a word called the tithe. Now, some of y'all came today and said, man, this preacher's preaching on money. Yes, I am. I am delighted to preach on money, okay? It does not bother me. If, if it bothers you, it's because you're not giving. If you're a giver, it doesn't bother you that I'm teaching and preaching on tithing. I want you to understand something. For a preacher who doesn't share God's principle about giving, one, he's a chicken, okay? And two, he's a thief, He's afraid to tell the truth, and he robs his people of a blessing. I want you to know that God is very serious about our material possessions. I want you to know that in the Bible, there are over 2,000 verses about material possessions. Did you know that? Over 2,000 verses. You say, well, that seems like a lot. It's because it is. In fact, there's more verses than there are on, on materialism than there are on prayer and faith combined. Now the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. And uh, the Bible says that we should pray without ceasing. Those are powerfully important. And yet God devoted to more of his breath, the theonoustos, the breath of God, more of his breath is given toward material possessions. Why is that? Because he's more worried about your possessions than he is your prayer and, and your faith? No. It's because he knows if he has your material possessions, he stands a better chance of invigorating your prayer and your faith. It's why he said the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money and material possessions is the root of all evil. It says the love of it. When we elevate things of this world above where he's supposed to be, number one on our priority list, he knows our faith walk with him is going to struggle. And so we're going to talk about giving today. It is a shifting of paradigms. It's a move of our ideas and philosophy regarding our physical possessions. Now, as a preacher, this is what I know. When I preach on money, I got 20%, two out of 10 of every one of y'all, y'all my friend, because y'all are walking in the open windows of blessing. You get it. You've been given. You've been a steward, and God has blessed you. And you're like, amen, preach it. That's right. That's right. Bring it on. Bring it on. Then I got about 30% that say, yeah, I've heard it before, but I ain't going to change nothing. But it's okay. It's what the preacher's supposed to do. And then I got another 30% that say, yeah, I'm not even listening to that. 
And then we've got another 20% that's going to leave and say, yeah, it's just like old preacher. I always want your money. Okay? And I know that. And I'm still doing it. Why? Because God talks about it, and if he talks about it, I'm supposed to talk about it. And if he talked about it, and I talk about it, you're supposed to hear it. And so if you're supposed to hear it, then you're supposed to apply it and live it and listen. In the end, God blesses it all. And listen to me. And some people sometimes, they almost like, you know, and I know there's, there's prosperity preachers out there who, you know, put your dime in, and, you know, next week you're going to have $1,000. No, you might, but that's not, that's not a promise from God. Okay, I want you to know, and there's some out there, the more they bring in, the more they get. And I've been meaning to tell you, I need to buy me a new jet, so I need you to give. Okay, if I buy a jet, it'll be a new jet, okay, because I ain't getting up in the sky unless it's a new jet, okay. I ain't looking for a jet. I'm not on commission. Here's the, here's the, the truth of my soul, okay. I didn't learn stewardship on my own, and neither did my wife. We were blessed to have been raised in good, godly homes. And our parents taught us the principle of giving. My dad had me and my brother tithing on a paper route in elementary school. Kid you not. When I went to work construction for him, at the end of the week, he said two rules. Work harder than everybody else so they don't accuse me of favoritism. And whatever I pay you, 10% of it goes in the offering or you're fired. That's what he told me. And so I did. And, and, and I, I, I don't take the credit for that. They, they taught me what God said about that. And Kendra and I have walked in what the Bible calls open windows of blessing our whole life. More so when we do it well than when we've done it well. And my goal, my heartbeat, is not more money for the church. God has plenty of money without yours because yours is already his. Okay? And he'll assign it however he wants. He knows what you have. He knows what you don't have. He knows what you spend and what you spend it on. He knows how much he has assigned for your future. And he knows how much he'll t- he can take away from your future. So it's not, it's not about that. It's about this. As a pastor, my job is a shepherd. A shepherd who leads sheep. I'm the shepherd. You get to be the sheep. Sometimes I would rather be a sheep. Okay? And sometimes, from what you all say, you'd rather be the shepherd. And so here's what I know. As the shepherd, the shepherd's job is to lead his sheep to green pastures and fresh, clear, clean water. And stewardship is green pastures and fresh, clean, clear water. And I want to lead you there. I don't want to take anything from you. I want you to experience the overflow of blessing that God promises regarding a heart of stewardship. When we have open hands, it demonstrates we have an open heart. When we have an open heart and open hands, God blesses our heart and our hands. And so that's why we are talking about giving. So here's what we're going to do. I'm not scared. We're going to do it. I want you to know that giving over the last 40 years has been on decline in the church. Charitable contributions in the church has been on a decline over the last 40 years. Is it because we're making less money? That is not true. Okay, is it because we uh, are giving it to someplace else? That may be true, and and, and you you should give to other organizations charitably. But the first 10%, your tithe, should be in the storehouse, should go to the church. There are people who say, well, I don't give to the church, but I I take care of this person, or I do this, or I do... That's, man, fantastic. But that's not blessed giving. Blessed giving begins when we do it God's way, and our giving begins in the church. Mine does, and yours does. So why has there been a decline? There's really six reasons. 
One is materialism. We just like stuff. If you like stuff, say, yeah, I like stuff. Yeah, that was a lie. Some of y'all just lied right there. Let me just say it for you. You like stuff, okay? Everybody likes stuff at some level. That's materialism. Number two is consumerism. We kind of, we're, we're unsatisfied, so we're consumers. The world has developed in us a consumer, consumeristic attitude, and it translates even in the church. We want to come to church, and we want it to be like the Burger King, you know? Hold the mayonnaise, add the tomato, all that stuff. You know, we want it to be that, just like we want it. It's a consumeristic idea. Number three and number four are competitivism and, 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 and comparison, comparisonism. It means we look around and we say, well, Jimmy over there got a new truck. I need me a new truck. You know, Ralph over there got him a new boat. I've been, you know, I've been praying about a boat for a long time. You know, we look around and, and we want what other people have. It's comparisonism and it's competitivism. Next is indebtedness. We live in a world that makes debt really, really easy. I remember 35 years ago, yeah, when I graduated or whatever it was, when I graduated college in 1985, they threw, you go out every day and you may only had credit cards in there. And my dad, mom, that's the other thing. They told us, don't, don't ever take a credit card. It'll, cut, it'll ruin your life. It'll ruin your life. They taught us that. And they were right. They will. They'll mess you up. Have you ever been messed up by a credit card? Has anybody in here ever been messed up by a credit card? Say, I have. Okay, steal people lying that y'all messed up. Okay, if you had one, you messed up because you're paying 28%. Okay, it's a mess. So here's what happens is indebtedness is so easy to obtain. And so we fall victim or prey to the, to the debt monster. And then lastly, unfaithfulness to God. We just kind of decided to have a different view on stewardship. We just kind of decided we would write our own idea of being faithful to God in everything except in our financial resources. And so moving forward, we've got to shift that paradigm because God's word is very clear because there's 2,000 verses, right? And so what does he say about giving? What does he say about stewardship? What he says is very clear. It's explicit. It's very detailed, both what he calls us to do and what he promises in return. Sometimes, though, people take a religious approach or a more pious approach, and they'll say, I'm not worried about the stuff. I'm not, I'm not competitive with my neighbors. I'm not indebted. In fact, I have no debt. I own my own home. I, that, none of that applies to me. But I'm not going to give to the church. Here's why. Because I don't like the way the church spends the money. Okay? People say that. Now, that's fine. And, and I want you to know we have transparency with our finances here. You can contact Tim Stallings, who's our executive pastor. He's done an outstanding job managing our resources. Outstanding job. But he didn't just fly alone. He's got Carol Foreman, our financial assistant, and she, they, they do the stuff together. And then we have a team, a finance team that kind of has oversight to kind of make sure everything's up and, and honorable the way things are handled. So you can ask questions about it. Now, if you don't give, don't ask no questions. It ain't none of your business. Okay? And some of y'all get mad at that, and that's okay, too. I, I, that doesn't bother me, okay? But if you're not a giver, why do you care? But if you're a giver, ask. You, you want to know how God's using your money in the church and how people are handling it. It's fair, okay? But, but don't ever say, I'm not going to give to the church because I don't like the way the church is using spending the money. Now, let me tell you why. Because when you do that, the Bible says, as you judge, so shall you be judged. You have just invited what I call a got it. A got it is an audit from God. In other words, God, I'm not giving to your church because I don't like the way they spend it. God says, oh, well, let me look at your statement. And then he starts going down through there. You spent $6 for a cup of coffee at Starbucks three times a day for the last two years. 
and you're not going to give money to the church, I'm out. Okay? That's what we do. So we have to be careful with it. And then the other thing we do often is we take bits and pieces of God's word and we want to assign it to other people in another time. And so that's what we're going to look at today. My favorite passage about giving, Kendra and I were in a church that had some powerful preaching when we were young. And this preacher preached from an Old Testament passage. It's found in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 is a beautiful passage. Yet it's in the Old Testament. And so some people say, well, who, who, pastor? That's OT. That's Old Covenant. That's Old Testament. I'm NT, New Testament, New Covenant. I'm under grace. I'm not under law. So I'm not going to tithe because that's Old Testament. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Listen to what God says personally about giving. Malachi chapter 3, and I'd like for you to open your book and write this on, in your notes back there, okay? It says this, it says Malachi 3, verse 8. This is God speaking to Israel through Malachi. He says, can a person rob God? You are indeed robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? He answers his own question in tithes and contributions. Verse 9, you are bound for judgment because you are robbing me. This whole nation is guilty. Wow. You're bound for judgment because they're not giving. He goes on in verse 10. He says, bring the entire tithe into the storehouse. The tithe 10%. It's not 9, it's not 4, it's not 12. The first, it's 10%. It's the first of what you earn. Bring it to the church. Bring it to the storehouse in the Old Testament so that there may be food in the temple. Then he goes on, and this is beautiful. It's the only time in Scripture God tells us we can do this. He says, test me in this matter, says the Lord of heaven's armies, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out bl blessing for you until there's no room for it all. Let's pause right there. This, what an invitation to something beautiful. God himself says, I want you to test me. I want you to take this for a test ride. I want you to try this out and just watch and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour forth this blessing so great, you won't be able to hold it. I shared this. My dad got saved in his 20s and he was radically saved. From the moment he got saved, he loved Jesus and he lived for him. And I had a wonderful dad and I lost him in August. And I'm going to see him one day in, again in heaven. But one of the things that he learned, the, where he learned, one of the things he taught me was about where he learned about stewardship. He got saved and he had my older brother, myself, and my younger brother was just born. My, fourth, my third brother was not born yet. And he had just started a construction company and he had a truck payment, a house payment, and diaper payments and baby payments. And uh, the preacher came to his house and he said, I want to talk to you about stewardship. And my dad, because he was diving in, he said, okay. He said, stewardship is in the Bible. It's called tithing. It's where you give 10% of your income to the church. And my dad said, he said, I was kind of set back, you know. And he said he went on, you know, about how God blesses it and all that. He said, my dad said, he told the preacher, he said, listen, I'm making like $42 a week. I have a truck payment. I have a house payment. I have three little boys. I'm making $42 just how much you think I can give to the church? And he said, the preacher looked at me, he said, you said $42? He said, $4.20. Just like that. And then he went on and he said, if you'll give $4.20 a week for the next six months, 
If God doesn't bless your finances and your family, I'll give your money back. The preacher's testing God too now, all right? Now, I'm not making you that deal, okay? <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. In fact, I will make that deal. I will make that deal. I, where's Tim at? Tim, I'll back this up. You ride with me or I'm on my own. I'll, I'll back it up. You start giving to God for the next six months 10%, and God doesn't bless your family, your finances, and your future, we'll give your money back. It's that real. I'm not after your money. I'm after a blessing for you, okay? My dad got that, and he raised four boys, and we're all Christians serving in the church. Uh, our family has never gone without. I'm, I'm telling you, it's real. Oh, so he goes, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. He says, no room for verse 11. He says, then after you do this, he said, then I will stop the plague from ruining your crops and the vine will not lose its fruit before harvest, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 12, and all nations will call you blessed and you indeed will live in a delightful land, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, a generous giver, somebody who's already giving, they stink and love that. They love me talking about it because it reminds them they're in the game and it's good and it's true and it is a blessed life. And people who are not a biblical giver, they're a little puckered up about it, a little sideways by it, a little uncomfortable. And so if that's you, I want you to know it's okay wherever you are. If you are a generous giver, if you're a non-giver, this is not judgmental. This is, this is an invitation to a new paradigm where God blesses you. Okay? Now, so there's all kinds of responses to this. So the one that gets me most, and even some preachers, I call them cowards or chickens, but maybe they're smarter than I am, and that's okay. They say, well, we're not going to teach that. We're not going to teach tithing because it's Old Testament. Okay? And we're under grace. We're New Testament people. But here's the thing. Now, listen. Never... Does the New Testament compromise a principle found in the Old Testament? Never is the truth of the Old Testament compromised in the New Testament. It's never compromised. It's always amplified. You say, what do you mean? In the Old Testament, as an example, Exodus 20, verse 13, the Ten Commandments. Here's a good law for you. 20:13 says, thou shalt not kill. That's Old Testament. Well, we're, we're in New Testament. That means we can go around killing everybody because we're under grace. No, it doesn't mean that. It was not compromised in the New Testament. It's amplified. Listen to how it gets amplified. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, if you hate your fellow brothers, your fellow Christian, you have committed murder already in your heart. Wow. So whatever was true in the Old Testament is true in the New Testament, but at, but at a whole nother level. Okay. It's never compromised. It's always amplified. In fact, Jesus said this about his relationship to the Old Testament and the words of the prophets. He said, do you think, Matthew 5, do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? He said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill to amplify them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law 
until it's all accomplished. Jesus said, I didn't come to wipe it out. I came to complete it. I came to take it to another level. He said, in fact, not a yacht or a tittle. Those are punctuation marks. It's like an apostrophe. Jesus says, there's not an apostrophe in the Old Testament that won't be fulfilled through me and in the future before it's all said and done. And so it's always amplified and never compromised. Now, so what do we do? Are we going to believe Old Testament? Are we going to believe New Testament? Are we going to be under law? Or are we going to be under grace? <laughs> this is so fun. If you want to be under law, if you want to be under the Old Testament, you better start tithing 10% because that's the law. But if you want to be under grace, it's worse. You have to become a grace giver, which is abundant, which is beyond, away and beyond. It's a different level. The 10% is what we call it. In the Old Testament, it was about 33% because they paid, had to take care of the temple. They had to take care of the, the needs of the temple, the priest needs. Okay, it was more, but 10% was a benchmark, a starting place. So you, so you want to be under the New Testament or the Old Testament? So watch this. Watch how God amplifies the Old Testament principle with the New Testament truth. In the Old Testament, let me tell you why the tithe was, was desired or commanded from God. God used the Old Testament law of tithing to, as a demonstration of our faith and our willingness to let go of our own control and our own plan for our life and place our faith in the plan, the better plan that he had for us. It was like he did for the seventh year the sabbatical year that we talked about in Daniel where God said, don't plant or harvest in the, every seventh year. Trust me and I'll bless you. And they never did it. And because of that, they were taken into captivity. A tithe is a demonstration that we trust God with our resources. And I want to tell you something that's always true. 90% blessed money is always better than 100% of unblessed money always so not only that he goes on and and he says you're bound for judgment the challenge for them to tithe was so he could continue to bless them but rather than bless them he says this but because you've robbed me of the tithe you're under judgment you're under judgment and I want to bless you I don't want to just move you out of the jail over at Anderson County next to Second Baptist Church there's a county jail and people go down there and spend the night, take a little weekend, sabbatical, okay? And then on Monday morning, they let them out. And you'll see them walking up the street. They don't have anything more than when they went in there. I don't know where they're going. I've carried a few of them a place or two. They don't have anything. And maybe next weekend, they come for another sabbatical. That's not the way it is with God. God says, because you're robbing me, because you're guilty, because you're a criminal, you're under judgment, okay? He says, but as soon as you start tithing... I'm not just letting you out of jail. I'm not letting you out of jail so you can walk up the street and figure out what to do tomorrow. He says, when I let you out of judgment, I have a blessing. As soon as you walk out of that judgment, there's a blessing waiting on you. It's so different than our judicial system in the world. When we get things right with God and allow Jesus to pay our penalties and become obedient and faithful, he blesses us. We walk in the blessing, he says, that flows from the open windows of heaven. And then he says, test me. Test God and see. And then lastly, he tells them, he says, I will stop the plague from ruining your crops. 
and the vine will not lose its fruit before the harvest. He said, while you're under judgment, everything you turn your hand to is also under judgment. What you, what you do for a living, your family, your produce, everything is under that same judgment. Your vines are not producing. The fruit are falling off your trees before they're ripe. And he says, when you get this right, stewardship right, all of that flourishes. The plague is lifted. Now, here's where it gets really cool. Because I'm going to show you something I've never seen before. And I, 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 I've read, the, I love, I've loved this forever. But I've always wondered, you know, what is the separation between Old Testament and New Testament? Are we under that law? Is it commanded of us? Or what does grace giving really look like? Okay, now watch this. You remember I said everything in the Old Testament is amplified in the New Testament? What about Malachi 3? Okay. In the New Testament, God amplified it with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Jesus paid our tithe. Jesus was a demonstration of how we respond to God's desire for us to let go of our own plan and trust him with his plan for our life. How is that? Well, in the Old Testament, God required an offering to be poured out for another level of blessing. Jesus became that offering. A perfect life given in sacrifice for a sinful life, mine. He gave himself as an offering to God. He denied his own plan. In the garden, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He accepted a better plan for his life. He, he let go of everything that he thought would be the best way to do it. In the Old Testament, the offering opened the door of blessing and deliverance from judgment. Jesus amplified that, and when he died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, resurrected on the third day, he provided an opportunity for every person to receive freedom from judgment. And the penalty of sin. In the Old Testament, in Malachi, God said, I will, I will take away the plague that keeps you from being fruitful. I will take away the plague that causes death to the things of your hands. In the New Testament, Jesus said, I'll take away the curse that all of you have that you were born with because of sin's curse that happened in the Garden of Beginnings when Adam and Eve sinned. And failed. In the Old Testament, he says, All the nations will be blessed because of you. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I'll rescue you. I'll wash you white as snow. I'll infuse my Holy Spirit in your life. I'll seal you with the seal of promise for future. And he said, I will employ you and deploy you in my kingdom agenda. And so wherever you go, you can be a blessing by sharing the truth of who Jesus is. And so when I thought of, when, when the Lord showed me all this, I don't think of it nothing. When he showed me all of this, it dawned on me. In the Old Testament... They gave in expectation of what God would do for them in the future. And it looked like 10%. In the New Testament, we're to give because of what he's already done. 
And it shouldn't look like 10%. It should look like abundance. It should look like grace giving. You see, we have what they looked forward to. And they were commanded to give. So is it a commandment to give today? It doesn't have to be. It ought to be a desire. Built upon an appreciation and a heart of gratitude of all that he's done for us. Now you listen. If you're lost, if you don't have a relationship with God, if Jesus has not rescued you, saved your soul, washed you clean, filled you with his spirit, then this is not for you. But if you're saved and born again, we ought to be excited to give to a God that gave so much for us. Amen? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish. As we move forward, I want you to know God has a desire to bless your resources. He just does. He'll bless your life. He'll bless your possessions. He'll bless your family. He'll bless your efforts at work. He'll bless your job. He has a desire to do that. But he has an expectation of us. And that is to know from where our blessings flow. And we demonstrate that by giving. And I want you to know today, if you've trusted Jesus with your forever soul, if you trust him into the great unknown of eternity, how could you not be willing to trust him? with your finances today. He's a trustworthy God and He wants what's best for you and your family. And so today, we're not asking for an offering at all in regards to this campaign. All we're asking you to do is prayerfully make a commitment to make a commitment. That's all. Just commit to God. God, I'll commit to making a commitment. And God, you show me what that commitment is. And then help me be faithful and obedient in responding to it. And he'll bless you. I know. Because his word says it. And I can testify to the trustworthy nature of his word. And maybe you're here and I said that a minute ago about you not being a child of God. You've never been born again. Greater than any gift you can ever give is to receive the greatest gift ever given. And there's a big old God up there who created you. You. Formed your DNA, strapped it together, and made it look like you from the inside out. And he loves you right where you are. And he loves you way too much to leave you there. He wants to take you on a journey with him. And that happens through Jesus' son. We get to a place where we just humbly say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe that you did something about my sinful nature. Your perfection came to this earth and laid on a cross and bled and died a brutal death to pay my sin debt. 
I want that gift to be applied to my life. Save me today. Adopt me into your kingdom. Seal me with your spirit. And let me live for you as Lord and Savior the rest of my life and through all of eternity. In Jesus' name. Father, we give you this time. We give you this day. We give you the words of this message. Erase anything I said from the record of their minds that's not in alignment with your word. But God, the truth that's found therein, help us dive into it to be found more faithful and more obedient and to experience the open windows of heaven, the blessed life that you offer us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we sing this last song, I want to do one last thing. In your book, in your bag, you have a book. And in your bag, you have a commitment card. All I'm asking is this. Would you make a commitment to stick this on your refrigerator and begin to pray about a commitment? And would you be willing to commit yourself and make a covenant with the Lord to come back for the next four weeks to learn about all the paradigm shifts that we need to experience to be everything God wants us to be as we launch into a a new level of our journey with Him. And if you would be willing, I want you to take these two things and simply hold them up like this so I can see them. If you don't want to, it's cool. It's not this. I just want want you just to to let me know if you would do that. Just commit yourself to, to trying to be a part of this, okay? If you've got this held up, I want you to say these words with me. God, I commit to listen to your word into my heart about the paradigm shifts that are needed in my life and about my commitment to your work here at Sturkey Hills. Whatever you tell me, I will try to do. I make this commitment before you and this church. That's it. I want you to take it, and I want you to do what you just said you would do, and God will bless you. I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing as we finish. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast, and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.